0: so a couple of years ago, my wife approached me and we were together and it was, it was kind of one of those moments, I could tell she was a little serious. And she said, Robert, I think, I think it's time to grow our family. And my attitude is um, we have enough stomachs to feed, like we're good. And she said, I'm like, I don't know about this. That's kind of a big deal. We're kind of a little older now, and I'm just not really sure I'm ready to venture off. And then she goes, no, I, I think we need to get a dog. Oh. <sighs> on the one hand, there was a relief. And on the other hand, it was a dog. Like, really, we don't have the time for the dog. Like, I, it's another stomach to feed nonetheless. There's other things you have to do for a dog. And I, I, I see how this is going. Like, eventually, it's going to be me taking care of the dog and stuff. Um, so I, I, I firm, as a husband and the head of the house and the leader of our family, said, no, we're not getting a dog. A couple days later, my oldest son approaches me at some point in time, and he says, Dad, I would really like to have a dog. I've never had a dog. And I've gone all these years without a dog, and I I think we should get a dog. Once again, that sweet son, I'm I'm sorry. One day you'll be a father, and you can have a dog. (laughs) A couple days later, my uh, second son comes up to me and said, Dad, do you really love me? (laughs) What is this like, Jesus' conversation with Peter? Of course I love you, son. Well, then get me a dog. <laughs> <sighs> and then the clincher. A couple days later, my, my daughter, who at the time was four years old, and her voice said to me, Daddy, will you please get me a puppy? And that lip began to quiver. <laughs> I got to stand my ground here. Like, this is sweet. And I've never told you no, but I have to practice this at some point in time because there's gonna be a boy one day that asks you to go on a date. And I've gotta be ready for that moment and have the word no rolling off my tongue. So I said, sweetie, I love you to pieces, but no. Well, a couple days later, there was like an intervention moment and I found myself completely surrounded by all four begging me for a dog. So we have a dog and I learned a lesson that day from my family. There is strength in numbers. And when you really think about it, there really is strength in numbers. I mean, they were like a pack of hyenas uh, devouring their prey one by one. In fact, I watched the National Geographic show not too long ago and I felt like I was the gazelle in the midst of 30 of those uh, hyenas just compiling upon that gazelle and capturing it, trapping it. There's power in numbers, there's strength in numbers. Numbers, numbers do matter. And oftentimes the more people that are brought in on something, the more people that are a part of something, the more power and the more effect that there is, Upon whatever purpose and whatever direction they're going, but you think about that in a lot of different ways. In fact, in life, that, that's really the way it is. The more people that are on the team and the stronger that team is, the more people that come. To, you've seen football games where you'll see one team that has a bunch of players in high school and the other team that's really small. Well, usually it's the team with the most players and the most talent that wins wins the game. There, there's strength in numbers. The more you have, so oftentimes the better. That you do, we see this even in in important areas in life. So, for instance, those of you that have battled addiction before, you know that there's strength in numbers, and so that's why you're encouraged to be a part of a group and and to come alongside people that will encourage you. Like the more people that have struggled with this and gone through this, that kind of link arms together and fight this battle together, there's strength in that. There's power in in numbers. Well, it's listen, no different for the church. We've been asking more people to step up and be involved in serving the kingdom of God here through First Charlotte. And there's strength in numbers because just a few can't do this. And just the few that we have right now can't do this. And so one of the big initiatives is to to beef up the numbers of who serve here at our church. So it's, it's really important. And I want to talk to you about that this morning because it's not just numbers that matter. It's not just how many you have. It's what you have. And it's what what you have does. I want to draw your attention to the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a story about the growth of the church as the Holy Spirit came upon the church and they began to do exactly what Jesus asked them to do in Acts chapter 1 verse eight to be my witnesses, and what he said in Matthew chapter 28, to go into the world and preach the gospel. The church began to grow. The power of God began to pour through them. But one of the unique things that we see throughout the book of Acts is how many people were involved and engaged in what was going on that made it so powerful. Throughout Acts, there's a number of passages of Scripture. Make your way to Acts chapter 4. There's a number of little glimpses of of Scripture that just gives us a little update, a little report on what's happening. And how it's happening, almost as if you would like a, a business meeting. Like the church gathers together and, and Luke gives us a little report. Like, this is the report. This is what's taking place and what's happening. So, in just a little bit, when we close our service, we have a brief business meeting that we're entering into. Well, that's what we have in Acts chapter 4. A little bit of business, a little bit of explanation and report of what's happening, and a little bit of insight on how it's happening. So look, if you would, to Acts chapter 4, verse 32, and I want you to notice the numbers, the people who were involved in what they did and what God did through them. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32, would you stand in honor of God's Word this morning? Acts chapter 4, verse 32, this is what Luke tells us in verse 32. Some incredible things have happened. The Holy Spirit's working. The believers are going out in boldness and speaking the word. And then this is the report we get in verse 32. Now, the full number, how many? Full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with it, Great power, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. How many? There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. And so thus, there was this guy named Joseph who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, who sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts this morning and that you would, just as Jesus taught us to pray, that you would um, send laborers into the harvest. And so I pray that you would rise up from this room and from this church, those people. It's in Jesus' name and for his sake that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. There is strength in numbers, but it's not just how many you have. It's what you have. And the church by this point in time was several thousand people strong. And we certainly see that those several thousand people were all in and together in this. It wasn't just one. It wasn't just Peter and John. It wasn't in the, in the days ahead, Paul who led the journey. Those are big figures and important people and key leaders. It wasn't just the apostles. The church was together. The pews weren't being used. One, because they didn't have any. But even if they did, there was no one to sit in them because they were out serving and all working together. So there was great number. There was strength in those numbers that we see. But it wasn't just the numbers. It wasn't just how many they had. It was specifically what they had. And I want to draw your attention this morning to what they had. What those numbers looked like. And what I think that if we're going to grow as a church, if we're going to, if we're going to advance, if we're going to impact, what our numbers need to look like as well. What I want you to notice first is that it was a collective number. A collective number. Notice verse 32. Now the full number, not just some, not just most. The full number. The full number. All of those who believe. So this is like every believer. So thousands of people at this point. It wasn't just a few. It was all of them. It wasn't just the 20% or 30% or 50% of the faithful. It wasn't just the deacons. It wasn't just the Sunday school teachers. It wasn't just the, the Baptists. It was also the Methodists and the Presbyterians as well. This was like everybody. The full number of those who were, who believed were of one heart and soul. You see, it's not just how many you have, but it's how one what you have is. Now so oftentimes there are moments in Scripture that we do see the truth that God can use, just a few. God doesn't need a mass. He doesn't need an army. He doesn't need a bunch to do something big. And there are moments and times throughout the Scriptures that God just uses a few people. In fact, there's stuff that God does that He doesn't even involve the work of man and the effort of man. He he does it all by Himself. Just read a couple of weeks ago, 180,000 people killed all by the Spirit of the Lord. Read the story not long ago of Gideon who was called to lead the Israelites, put together a big army. And God says, cut it down, cut it down, cut it down. I don't need a bunch. I just need a few. And so certainly there are times, but most often those times are when there's no one else. When everyone else has abandoned the direction and God raises up someone to lead the charge, to to motivate and bring people. But when you come to Acts and when you come to the New Testament, so rarely do you see an occurrence like that. More often not, when a bunch of people unite under the banner of the gospel of Jesus Christ and work together, God moves. And that's what we see taking place here, the full number. Not just a few, not just some, it was all of them. It was every person that was part of the church that realized, I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, I have a gift, and i needed to be used. And so they all took to task. They all got involved, and it shows us that they were united one heart and soul. Amen. There was a sense of togetherness with them. Sure they were different and sure they disagreed about certain things and sure they come from different walks of life and sure they all had unique and different testimonies and sure they had different economic backgrounds and probably by this point they had different races and they, they, they were, some of them probably were even family. Some that were family that didn't get along. Some that had people that were enemies of them at one point in time. They were different people, diverse people, unique people. And probably, you know what? They had different preferences. One like this thing, another like that thing. But there were some things they could unite, one heart, one soul. And they could come together and all collectively contribute to the work. In fact, we see how that had happened. Notice what it says. And so, no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, th- this is fascinating. They realized something that we're going to look at in just a moment. They realized that everything that they have is not theirs. And so, together, they used what they had for the purpose of advancing the gospel says they, they, they looked at their stuff and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. Now, now you may read this and say, uh, that, that kind of sounds a little bit like, uh, like communism. Like we all just like share everything and we all like bring it all at the same pace. And we all, it, it, it sounds a little bizarre to me. Well, let me just remind you that this is not necessarily a national economic book here nor necessarily a political book and I would argue that this is not communism at all if if you think this is communism you don't know communism no what this is is community it's people who realize that every pity I have does not belong to me but it belongs to him and that God gave me those pennies and nickels and dimes and dollars and career and energy and effort and time and opportunities. Not just for me. But to be part of a body of people for his purpose. Amen. A collective number together together. There was a a unity amongst them. Not uniformity. They weren't all alike. They didn't all dress the same. They didn't all do the same things on the weekend. They didn't all hang out in the same places. They didn't all talk the same way. They weren't all the same ages. They weren't all the same backgrounds. They probably didn't hang out all the time. But they were united. All throughout the New Testament, we see that one of the most harmful things for the church is a lack of unity, a discord, a disruption, Or a sidelining, an attitude, well, y'all do it, I'm backing off. You go, I'm going to sit. Man, that is dangerous for the church. It's dangerous when we don't feel like we're part of the collection or we don't participate in the collection or we disrupt the collection of what God is trying to do through a bunch of people who he's empowered and put under the banner of the gospel. It was a collective number, but it was also... And it's hard to miss this, a sacrificial number. A collective number, but also a sacrificial number. That's what we see in verse 32. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him were his own, but they had everything in common. So to explain what that looked like, read down just a little bit more in verse 34. This is what that specifically looked like for them. There was not a needy person among them. That's the result of it. Needs were being met. People were being helped. Why? Because... No one saw everything as their own, but they brought it together, and they used what they had, what God had given them for His purpose, for as many as were landowners or house owners, sold them. And they brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. They gave of themselves. They were sacrificial. All of them were. And that sacrifice came on many different levels. We have one example, one explanation of what that looked like. There were some who owned land, who owned property, who owned houses, who took that, sold it, and brought the proceeds so that that could be used sacrificially for the work of the gospel and to meet the needs of those that they were taking the gospel But that wasn't it. This is not the one way and the only way. This is one of the significant sacrifices that took place in those days. Everything that we are, everything that we have should run through the avenue of stewardship. That we understand that God has given us our time on this earth, that God has given us the energy that we have, that God has opened the doors of opportunity for us, that God has put us where we are, that God has given us the ability to make the income that we have and to have the resources that the talents and the personalities and the family that we come from and the connections and network that we have are not of ours. They're by the grace and hand of God. And sacrifice and surrender is understanding that all this is from God. And so, Lord, I'm going to turn this back over to you and let you figure out for me how you desire it to be used. That you can take my money, you can take my home, and you can take my family, and you can take my time, and you can take my energy, and you can take my opportunities, and my network, and my people, and all of these other things, Lord, and, and put them basically in the offering plate of your will and your way. It's yours. Amen. Listen. Salvation cost us nothing. It cost Jesus everything. But for the saved person to fulfill the purpose of God in his life, it does cost. I want you to listen really carefully to the words that Jesus mentioned of this. Jesus said a number of things about the weight and the cost of following him And fulfilling his purpose for our lives. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 9 verse 23. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Take up his cross. Lay it all down. Sacrifice. Mimic. The action and work of Jesus who took up his cross and laid it all down and lost his life. And through that, many were saved. Jesus turns that on us and says, you saved people who I've resourced it and I've blessed and I've poured everything into. Now you do the same. Take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Listen to what he says again in Luke chapter 14, verse 27. Verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Walking with Jesus, fulfilling his purpose for you as a saved follower of Jesus Christ, demands sacrifice. I mean, just consider the characters of the Bible. Which ones? All of them. As the pages turned and as people were called to serve the Lord, it all required risk. It required sacrifice. You think of Abraham, Moses, David, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then you get to the prophets, the risk that these men had to take, the boldness that they had to stand, the the giving up a lot of different things. Many of them went hungry, were beaten, arrested, imprisoned. Risk was required because sacrifice was required to advance the message and the work that God had for them. So what is it costing you? Have you even stepped back to count the cost of what God wants to do with you and through you, of what that would look like if if you're thinking it's going to be free, if you're thinking that it's just going to all be, we're we're missing it. What's it going to cost us as a church? To advance the gospel from 301 South Davidson and move forward it's not just going to happen. It's not like we just say yes and, and then we just sit back and sit down. And God does something. It's not how it works. We've got to win the battle of what's in it for me versus what does it cost me? Man, so many followers of Jesus come in week in and week out or whenever they make it to the church with the attitude and the mentality, what's in it for me? Many of us choose our church because of what's in it for me. Many of us are here because of what's in it for me. I like the preacher. I like the ministries. I like the music. It's my style. It's my thing. I like, I like the people. We come with the attitude of what's in it for me. Jesus says, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Our question should not be what's in it for me. Our question should be, what does it cost me? What does God ask of me? That is a spiritual battle. And today, as you look across the, the global landscape, particularly here in our own culture, in our own country, even in our own community, the church and the people within the church, the numbers that are there are sacrificing less time, less money, less prayer, less energy than they ever have before. And we wonder why what's happening is happening. We wonder why numbers are down and the work is slowing down. We we, we can blame the culture. Sure, it's a difficult culture and it's an ugly culture and evil is increasing and growing We can look at the past and say, well, they messed up here and they did this and that and that's why we're living this. We're we're reaping what they sowed back then. There's a lot of different things. Or we could just simply look in the mirror and ask the question, is it costing me anything? Am I sacrificing? Am I serving? Am I going? Am I doing? See, so many of us are in self-mode, coast-mode, where the truth of the matter is, it's all optional. It doesn't cost you anything unless you want to be one of those really spiritual people that gives something and does something. Those are the heroes of our faith. People that serve in a small capacity in a small way. And they are great. They are heroes. No, they're just obedient. They understand God's asking something of us. He's asking us to take risk, to give time, resources, prayer, money, pain, patience, effort, creativity, to do something. The journey costs you. The kingdom of God costs sacrifice. You cannot sit and soak. It's everyone, a collective number, sacrificially giving towards the cause of the gospel. It's not about equal gifts, but it is about equal sacrifice. And if I could be just for a moment little bit of your pastor, and I can't even see you, so I'm not pointing at any one of you. Some of you are holding us back. Thank you, Kevin. Because. The bulk of your activity for the kingdom is what you're doing right now sitting and receiving. When God has gifted you and talented you and called you to do so much more and to stand and give. Whatever that looks like for you. Incredible things happened through the numbers that they were at because of what they did. That it wasn't just a lot of people, but it was how sold out they are. Listen, listen, a mission and a vision that costs you nothing is neither a mission nor a vision. Collective numbers, sacrificial numbers. And I love the footnote here in verse 33 because it shows us really what it's all about. Gospel numbers. Look at verse 33 very closely. So there's an incredible thing is there's some great service going and people are being fed and lives were being helped. And I mean, there was this, I mean, this description that there wasn't a person that had need amongst them. What, what an awesome place to be a loving group of people that give of themselves and needs are being met but 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 let's not miss verse 33 because i think a lot of places miss and a lot of people miss verse 33 you see you, you can't really do 32 and you can't really do 34 without understanding the, the significance of 33 and with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the lord jesus and great grace was upon them all they were giving their testimony And there was power in their testimony. That's what it says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony, which is an answer to the promise that was given in Acts chapter 1. You'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses. This is exactly what Jesus told them to do and told them what happened. And here in verse 33, it's happening. They're being his witnesses. They're giving testimony. They're telling people that Jesus is risen and Jesus saves. They're sharing the gospel with people. And as they share the gospel, there's power in that. Because it's not our power and it's not our pizzazz; it's his power because it's his story and the Holy Spirit works through it. So they were faithful and obedient, sacrificial and collected together, united together and shared the gospel with people and there was power in it. And as a result of that, we see great grace was upon them all. God's grace fell down upon them. You see, it wasn't about strategy and it wasn't about location and it wasn't about the building and it wasn't about the plan. It was just simply this, people shared. God's power worked, and God's grace fell upon it. Was it a contemporary church or a traditional church? Man, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It was an obedient church. It was a sacrificial church. It was a gospel-focused church. And so God's grace was upon it. That's ultimately what matters, and that's still how it works today. At the heart of every movement of God that you ever see, you have this factor. The gospel is shared. As people are sacrificial and united together, God's grace falls upon it. God's power flows through it. There is strength in numbers. But it's not just what you have. It's what you do with what you have. So what are you doing with what you have? You know, as we look at our community and as we back up even further and as we look at our world, darkness and lostness is is bigger than it's ever been. As you look at the culture today, darkness is way darker than it was even 10, 20 years ago. Man, there's stuff on TV today that, listen, when I was a kid, that wasn't on. Like PG-13 means something different than it did back in the 80s, right? And when you walk through the streets and when you see the things taking place and you see things that are out there, buildings that are being built, and the purpose of many of those buildings in this place, when you, when you look at the numbers, it's not hard to see. The darkness is not holding back. It's advancing. And darkness is all over this community. We've got places like abortion clinics being built, multi million dollar buildings being built right here in our backyard. Amen. It's advancing. And today, there are more lost people in this world than ever before. There are more people headed straight to hell than there were in their day. There are more people headed straight to hell within our 301, within our three-mile radius than there have ever been before. Darkness is advancing. And there's so many things that we could point the finger at, but ultimately we need to understand those that bear the light of Jesus Christ will never see darkness pushed back, darkness held back without sacrifice, a collective number with a gospel focus. Is it any question, any wonder... Why darkness so prevalent, so ugly, so evil, and so winning today when we sacrifice less time, less money, less prayer, less obedience than ever before? What could happen if everyone in this room was willing to collect and sacrifice and share what would take place. Because I want you to understand, church, you need to hear this from me. All of this that we've talked about, all of the incredible opportunity, we will never reach unless all of us do something. We cannot do it with who we are and who currently does it. I mean, it's incredible. I am so grateful for the incredible sacrifice of so many. But I want you to hear me say, it's not enough. We need you. Yeah, you. And without you, we will come up short of what God really wants and what God really can do. And so I want to close this with with what Luke closes it with because something happened that day. There's this incredible movement. There's incredible sacrifice in a collective group of people. But then there was something really personal. For one particular person, there was a personal application for this. And I don't know why Luke picked on this guy, why Luke brought this forward, why he brought this testimony out. Maybe it was because this guy plays a, a big role down the road. Maybe it's because he became a leader, and not because of his sacrifice, but because he had a sacrificial heart, and God used it in some great ways, and he was real genuine in what he did. I don't really know, but he brings up a particular person, and the personal application for that. Look at verse 36. So this is this guy named Joseph, but he had a nickname. The apostles called him Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. A Levite, a native of Cyprus. And he sold the field, that belonged to him, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So, as Barnabas, this guy, Joseph, was considering what does it mean for me to sacrifice? What does it look like for me to be united with these people? What does it look like for, for me to advance the gospel? The Lord pressed upon his heart. Hey, you got a field. You got some land. And I need it for what I want to do. So Barnabas sold that, took the proceeds, and gave it to help advance the gospel of Jesus in this world. Now I want you to know, was for Barnabas. God pressed that upon Barnabas's heart. So what I'm not saying is that if you have a house and land, go ahead and sell that for us. Like, you're welcome to do that. Like, we're not going to deny it. But I'm saying this, listen. It's personal for you. God has ways and things and sacrifice he wants you to make. And I can't tell you what that is. I can't tell you what that looks like. That's not my job. That's not our role. Your friend can't tell you. You, you, Your spouse can't tell you. Maybe your spouse can't help you figure that out. But ultimately, this is something God presses upon you. He's asking something from you. He's saying, listen, jump in, join in, sacrifice. And I'm going to show you as you step in exactly what that looks like for you. For some of you, it may be something brand new. For, something, for some of you, it may be something really, really significant and beyond. Some of you, it may be something that's seemingly small in the eyes of everyone else. But it's significant because God called you to it. It's not about equal. Gifts. It's about sacrifice and what God calls you to do. So, what is God asking of you? I can promise you this it is something. Amen. But do you hear it? There is a someone. But do you know who it is? There is a some way and some place. But have you listened for how and where? There is a cost, but are you willing to count it and commit it? to so Take all that you have and say it's yours, use it how you wish. Are you going to be like so many other people and say, no, I'll let someone else, I'm keeping my time, my house, my money my resources, my energy, my experiences to myself and mine. There is strength in numbers, but it's not just how many you have, it's what you have. So will you be one of our numbers that lets God use them. So we come to this time of invitation, I'm going to bring you back and circle you back to an opportunity. It's a card like this, so, so grateful for the many of you that committed to serve your church last week. I'm going to tell you something. We don't need just some more. We need a bunch more. So would you commit today? Take this card. Just put your name, email. Hey, You're not signing your life over to, the, to anything crazy, all right? But help us. There's another card that you received. It's a card that... Talks about someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus. If you haven't filled this out yet, I can tell you at the very least that commitment isn't just something that God wants you to do, it's the reason you're still around. Amen. To share the gospel with the lost world. So identify, commit, and put it before him. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your goodness and grace in our lives. I thank you so much for the sacrifice of your saints and servants, your people. just as your son Jesus said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Lord, you told us to ask you. So Lord, I ask you this morning that even right now, even today, you would add to the laborers and that your Holy Spirit would press so heavily upon your people to commit, to serve, and do, and go that you would lay so heavily the life and name of a person in their life upon their heart that they would make at least a commitment to share. Not knowing how, not knowing when, but letting you work all that out, A commitment. So Lord, press that upon them this morning. Press that upon me. What do you ask of me? What do you want of me? pray, Lord, that your people today would respond in obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.